Welcome to episode three of Diego Maradona at the Dubai Years, a five-part podcast series from The National. If you haven't had the chance, please go back and have a listen to the first couple of episodes when we discovered how it came about that one of the most famous names in sport ended up in a newly professional football league in Dubai. This week we'll be looking back at his playing days, told by a number of people with a strong connection to Dubai and the UAE. He told me about the, the, the incident of the hand of God. He was the voice of the group, always uh, fighting for what the group deserves. Well, it was more commotion uh, for his move than for mine, I can tell you that. I'm Paul Radley, sports writer for The National, here with John McCauley, the football writer. John, what's on the agenda for today's episode? We're going to look at a, a former rival, and where better to go than, than Real Madrid against Barcelona, touching on Maradona's time in Spain. Then we'll speak to a former teammate of his at Boca Juniors with you know, some very colourful and uh, pretty cool stories, as you would imagine. And then we'll round it off with bringing it back to Dubai and speaking to someone who became close friends with Maradona here even so much as arranging his five-a-sides or seven-a-side games every week. So let's get into the first guest. For people of a certain age growing up in England, certainly for, for me, um, would have good memories of this guy having played for a, a long while in England with the top division side at the time, Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest. Johnny Method was um, a Dutch player who uh, it's, it's came into contact with Maradona and direct rivalry with Maradona. Uh, in probably the biggest game in the world. So Maradona was the new signing for Barcelona, uh, world record signing at the time. In direct opposition to him was Johnny Method at Real Madrid. Yeah, so John spent two seasons at Real Madrid and they coincided with, with Maradona's time at Barcelona. And John had previous experience with seeing Maradona up close during an international for Holland. And Maradona would have been probably only 18 at the time. The five times John had played against Barcelona Barcelona ended up winning four, including that Copa del Rey final. So he didn't have the greatest history in terms of the, the results or, or that much success against Maradona. And just to let you know how influential Maradona was in those matches, he scored three goals in those five games. He got a couple of assists. There was one brilliant solo goal that was disallowed, actually. Being Maradona, he jinxed past a few players and scores. He had a free kick that hit the crossbar. He had another goal disallowed that was a header. So uh, standard Maradona affair, really. Um, and, and we sat down with, with John or Johnny twice and um, he just had stories for days. It was fantastic. This is pretty much a titan of the, of the European game at the time. And, and what's he doing now, John? He's assistant manager of the UAE? Yeah, so John is part of Bert van Marwijk's backroom staff at a very important time in, in the UAE's hopes or bid to, to qualify for the, the 2022 World Cup. So we thought, you know, why not better utilise this man's vast knowledge of the game and his experience of, of seeing Maradona firsthand and trying to stop Maradona, quite frankly. Obviously, if you have got that kind and that much of, of natural ability, you know, the best way to, uh, to describe it is uh, when I started playing football, uh, my coaches at a young age always said to me, you've got to try and treat the ball like your friend, not your enemy. And that's exactly what he did. He was, you know, he was able to treat it as his best friend with, you know, the caress that you had. The, 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 it was all fluent. It was all, uh, you know, natural. And that was something that was pretty impressive. 
And I think what made it even more impressive was that the pitches back then were not exactly the tabletops that you would have today. But even that, John had said, couldn't even detract from, from Maradona playing a game that, that nobody else could. There was one instance where the pitch was so poor and it was, it was so difficult to play a normal passing game and you've, you've got Barcelona and Real Madrid, so obviously the ball's going to stay on, on the deck quite a bit. It was so difficult and the pitch was that cut up that, that John was telling us that Maradona kept flicking the ball up and, and he said pinging it to wherever he wanted. Just another example of this unbelievable, extraordinary skill that he had. And, and John was saying that he was you know, taken aback by the ease and the athleticism and the composure. He's saying to us that it was unbelievable to see. And it was quite interesting. He was saying that obviously Maradona almost incomparable to, to absolutely everybody. And this is coming from someone who played at the same time as Johan Cruyff. First of all, it's always difficult to compare. Uh, because I think any yeah, Brazilian would say, yeah, but why don't you yeah, then mention Pele, for example? Or, uh, you know, the, so, so it, it, is, it is really difficult to compare players at that level. Um, maybe even not fair to do it. But, you know, Cruyff had the same flair, the same... Um, he always seemed to be in control of... Uh, of whatever he thought he needed to do. And I think as well what it is, both of them had, uh, you know, all the qualities to to just decide the game on their own, basically. Like Maradona did with the rushes in, in you know, in the World Cup, he came from nearly his own half or halfway line and then went on uh, on a few good runs and, uh, you know, eventually scored. And I think those players are um, in a league of their own just because of, of the fact that they can actually think two or three steps ahead and then you know having to play with yeah players like that can be uh you know pretty daunting i would say you know if you're playing with somebody that is always uh, can always think two or three steps uh you know ahead of you then um, that can create a few discussions and a few problems and yet he would still also make sure he, he would do anything to win the match for his team which intimates that he wasn't averse to, to the odd dark art here and there. And John uh, has a few recollections of, of moments exactly like that. I remember we in a game we were 2-1 down with a couple of minutes to play. And he was basically the player that could keep the ball there for two or three minutes. Uh, you know, yeah, get a free kick, get the sting out of the game, have the ball again, yeah, do it again. But I think that's all, all part of the game. It's, it's like, you know... If you are in a tight game, you've got to try and find ways to win games like that. And then, and then yeah, the level of, of uh, how you want to achieve that, uh, maybe by you know, cheating a little bit or maybe a lot, but that's up to the referee and the linesman. And I think you know, people say, ah, it's not very gentleman-like football if you do so, uh, you know, like the handball. Um, but I think if you're born and raised in a way that you've got to try everything that you are uh, and you can do to actually win a game, then that is part of trying to win a game as well. You've got to try and find a way. And, and, and thank God, he normally would find a way by playing football and to make sure that you know, he made the difference on the ball by either scoring goals or free kicks or you know, make a goal for somebody else. Uh, but even if that doesn't succeed and that doesn't give you goals and that doesn't win you games, then you've got to try and find another way. And I think in in sort of Argentina or in South America, 
uh, more in general. I think there is a sort of a way, any way that you can think of is nearly okay as long as you win the game. John says that he would sometimes veer into the ungentlemanly, but you have to remember as well the kind of environment that, that Maradona's playing in. He, he was incredibly courageous and, and just watching highlights from those matches that John was involved in, you could, you could see that. There was one particular instance at, at the new Camp in, in March 1983 in a league match. Even John himself delivered a pretty hearty challenge to stop Maradona from breaking through on goal. But that said, Maradona never shirked the attention or you know, the, the spotlight was always on him. He was the main attraction, as we said, and that wasn't just on the football pitch. He was the most expensive player in the world. He was making headlines on the front and back pages in Spain. And that was a hell of a lot for him to deal with as well. I think he must have been used to life in sort of Argentina. But I can imagine that him coming over to Spain as a superstar, that would even probably be beyond his imagination. You know, things that happened when he was at Barcelona. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I can imagine that it was even more hectic than than life for him already in Argentina. So, you know, in that sense, it's... It's not only the footballing side, but it's also the way you have to live, probably even meaning you can't live the way you want to live because, you know, if you go out, <laughs> well, whatever, you know, yeah, shopping or you just go for a walk or whatever you wanted to do, I can imagine that that must have been really, really difficult. If I'm not mistaken, I think there was also, uh, you know, he needed bodyguards to, uh, you know, or some sort of, yeah, protection to make sure that, that, that he actually could go outside and, and could do things that he wanted to do. You know, and I'm sure that he couldn't even do the things he really wanted to do because, you know, of the popularity and, and how the people would react. Okay, so John references there the popularity that Maradona experienced while he was in Spain. Probably, to be honest, only a, a small part of the experience he had of such, such things when he was in back at home in Buenos Aires. We caught up with uh, somebody else who was an, uh, a teammate of Maradona's at Boca. Yes, Rodolfo Arrubarena, it's easy to say, <laughs> um, seemed an obvious choice for this, given that he played with Maradona at Boca Juniors, as you said. He was there whenever Maradona came back for his second stint at the club in 1995 to 1997. Rodolfo came through the, the youth academy at the club just years after Maradona had actually left for Barcelona, whenever his shadow still loomed large over Boca. And then, conveniently for us and for this podcast, and the reason for speaking to him, he then went on to manage Al Wassel, to which he had, he had said, you know, there was, a, there was a pressure that came with that, having to follow in Maradona's footsteps. And with that, we wanted to get a real sense of what it was like in Buenos Aires at the time when the country's, not just the city's, but the country's favourite son was returning. Translated by his assistant, Benjamin, who kindly sat in on the interview with him. Uh, it was a revolution, no? For the club, for the, the country, for the journalists. It was uh, Maradona coming back to play to, to Argentina and to Boca, no? Uh, it was a revolution for all. Yeah, and what, why did he return at that point, John? Because it was quite a momentous reason, wasn't it? I, d I didn't actually realise this till we were discussing it earlier. Yeah, so if, if you go back to the previous summer, uh, the 1994 World Cup, which began for Maradona, it began with him scoring that amazing goal against Greece and the celebration that... Wild-eyed into the camera. Might have hinted yeah, a, few <laughs> a few things. 
obviously began with that and then ended in ignominy, really, when he was suspended for 18 months for testing positive for a banned substance and, and you know, promptly sent home from the World Cup in America. So that ban had forced Maradona to dip his toe into, into coaching in, in Argentina and that failed rather spectacularly. It's, you know, two pretty brief spells, suitably chaotic. Um, one lasted two months, the other lasted four. So Maradona was, was waiting until this, this suspension had ended. And at that time, Boca were going through a real barren spell. This is one of the, the biggest clubs in South America. They, they had a couple of years without any trophies. And their president at the time was a guy called Maurizio Macri. And looking to curry favor with, with the Boca fans, he, he turned to Maradona. So you get to October 1995, his return to Boca, where he had won the Argentine title in his first spell in the early 80s before he went to, to Barcelona. He arrived pretty unsurprisingly, probably out of shape. He was in the midst of, of addiction or the grips of addiction and, and subsequently spent some time in, in rehab um, during that, that second period at Boca Juniors. So he arrives with all this, this clamor, obviously, and, and at the Bombonera, the Boca's home ground, there was this special party thrown for him with fireworks, a huge celebration before the match against Colón. Thankfully, in that game, Boca ran out 1-0 winners. And that marked the beginning of a pretty eventful, as you could imagine, two years at, at the club for Maradona. And someone who was there at the time, right the way through that period, was Rodolfo. And, and this is his take on Maradona's return to the club. He arrived to the trainings and he didn't make a warm-up. He arrived to the training and go to the field and start playing with the ball, like uh, doing things that you say, oh, this is not normal. I have uh, lots of memories, maybe for one guy that is not in the atmosphere of, of football, we never understand. Like trainings, uh, he arrived in Ferraris, in trucks, in Porsche, but after it was one more. Uh, always watching in what what he can help uh, trips when we have when we want to play outside uh, and we arrived to a country he was waiting for all the players with expensive watches to give like a gift uh, in that uh, year I played with players like Canigia, Maradona, uh, monsters of, uh, of football uh, and uh, after that year, I remember because uh, after a trip, in the, when we were missing some few matches to the end, we, we had a trip to, to, to China and after when we, we, we come back, we lose the, the, the championship. Uh, you have to know, there I, I had 20 years old. I was the younger player in the team and I didn't speak. I only laugh and watch what was happening in my around because, uh, like I told you before, Maradona, Canicia, uh, lots of, of great football players. As Rodolfo intimates there, he was basically in awe of these guys like Maradona and Canicia. And, and Maradona in particular was the captain and the leader of this team, but not just for Boca. It was it was like he was the the captain of the league as well, and he was often go up a go up against the establishment and stand up for not just his teammates, but but for everyone in the league. I had it like like a player and also like like a captain, not like a player. He was in the last part of of his career with 35, 36 years, but like a captain. Uh, he was in all the small details to help always uh, the, the players, the group. Uh, if you listen players of the World Cup of 86, 90, they will tell you that uh, he was all, always fighting. He was the voice of the group, always 
uh, fighting for what the group deserves. And also he wanted to do that in Argentina for all the players in the league being the voice of what the players need for making better things or what he thought that the players deserve in that moment. Uh, it was uh, to be with the with the idol, no? Uh, the, the idol of all, my idol. Uh, in 96, maybe uh, with Bilardo, like a coach, I have one of Maradona, one of Bilardo, maybe Maradona in a meeting with all the big players. I was there uh, and watching me, he said, you have to enjoy uh, the moment to be in a football player because it's the best professional that you will have. It's one year, two years, five, ten, twelve, enjoying being a player because it's the best profession that you will have in the life. Maradona had a huge impact on Rodolfo, especially those early years at Boca. And that really came across during the interview. And Rodolfo would often reference the selflessness again. And, and that was in evidence when Maradona substituted himself, believe it or not, in his very last match at the Monumental against the, the club's fiercest rivals, against River Plate. What a way to go out, true to form for, for Maradona. And he announced his retirement only five days after that match on his 37th birthday amid reports of a failed drugs test. And this is the scene at halftime in the Boca dressing room for Diego's final hurrah. With memories that I had like, like a player, uh, the last match that he played uh, versus River, a derby in El Monumental, we played very bad the first half. We went to the room and I remember that uh, he was the one that, that made the changes. He said, OK, I will go out, Riquelme go inside. And after make the change of, of Torresani for Vivas, uh, and it was his last match. And he took him himself to put another player Okay, so that was Maradona, who in his last game has sacrificed himself for the team, taken himself off at half-time, and it's done the trick, actually, because Boca have gone on to win 2-1. When we spoke to Johnny Method earlier on, he he suggested that these guys have got such an overbearing personality and and persona, and clearly the hugest star in, in their teams. He suggested that it was sometimes difficult to play with players like that, players with such an exceptional talent. Why would you say it was? That was the issue. That What did John mean by that? Well, John had said that these guys were so exceptionally gifted that you then wanted, obviously, to, to play to their standards or get somewhere close to their Be standards. Be noticed by them. Yes, exactly. And you didn't want to let them down, essentially. You know, he, he referenced Cruyff, obviously, for him. But whenever we put that to Rodolfo, quite interestingly, he told us that he didn't necessarily agree. I think that that kind of players, and more in this case Maradona, are players that take take you out the pressure, that they absorb all the pressure inside of the field and in the day by day. We have to know that Maradona was the representation of all the country of Argentina. Uh, he was the number one for all the country in Argentina. And that from his uh, private life, Without, uh, he cannot go to, to have dinner or to the cinema in Argentina, in Napoli. Uh, he laughed about depression. He take all that pressure. And maybe because of that, he felt very comfortable when he went to Dubai and he could do some things that maybe in other parts of the world he could not do. Because like I tell you before, for 
in this case, from Arge for Argentina. All the people wanted to be like uh, like Maradona. And also, if you 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 listen uh, the the partners in the World Cup of '86 and '90, they will tell you that it was easy to play in some sense because all the pressure was for Maradona, and he take that pressure. He didn't hide in that pressure. He liked it, like I told you. He in his private life, he laughed that all the pressure that he had inside of the field, it was easy for him. So you get a sense there of why that admiration for Maradona has sustained, what, a quarter of a century on, which is crazy when you think about it. And Rodolfo spoke as well about Maradona's love for, for Boca that endured right until his death. He'd taken matches at La Bombonera whenever he could, and he, he was always a pretty animated figure in his own box high up in the stands. And Boca's adulation for Maradona remained right beyond his death. There's that really beautiful, that poignant picture of the stadium cloaked in darkness just to, to mark whenever Maradona had passed away last November when they kept that one light lit in his box in the stadium. And that conveyed Boca's love for Maradona. And this is Rodolfo illustrating just what that relationship meant. Uh, I also remember no, he, he scored a goal. He, he started in Argentino Juniors, no? and I remember he scored a goal of a free kick uh, playing for Boca, and he celebrated that goal. And some journalists or some part of the fans start criticizing him because he, he celebrated against his uh, last club or his first club. And he was not ashamed. He always showed the love for Boca Juniors, for the fans. Uh, he's like like God. And when he died, you could saw all the in Twitter, Instagram, uh, in any media, the the fan of Boca Juniors show showed his love for for Maradona. Right, so that was Rodolfo, who who obviously played with Maradona at the place where Maradona was most loved. And now we're going to hear from one of Maradona's five-a-side colleagues <laughs> <laughs> from the Viva. In actual fact, Jihad Mantassa, who we'll be hearing from now, is um, he's got a good pedigree in the game himself, actually, isn't he? Yeah, so Jihad was part of the Atalanta Youth Academy in the 1980s. So he grew up in Italy at the time whenever Maradona mania was at its peak. And Jihad very fortunately got to go and see Maradona play during his time at Atalanta in the Youth Academy. They would go and watch some of the matches in Serie A. He went back to Italy and, and played in, for a number of teams in the Italian leagues and, and actually represented the Libyan national team a fair few times as well. So pretty talented footballer in his own right. And then once Diego ended up coming to Dubai, him and Jihad connected almost immediately because Jihad obviously spoke Italian. Maradona speaks Italian quite well. and. The two of them became very, very close friends and, and they worked together in, in business, but they also enjoyed football matches together. And it fell on Jihad to organize these weekly football matches with Maradona five-a-sides and seven-a-sides. And Jihad was telling us that they would play at Nadal Sheba Sports Complex, which is the state-of-the-art training facility down in, in Dubai, and, and they would play at Dubai Sports World at the Trade Center. Jihad told us that he, he became very, very popular with fellow players and some of his friends. He, he was saying that he would be inundated with requests to play with Maradona, ra rather predictably, of course, who wouldn't want to play with Maradona. And apparently Maradona wasn't the easiest teammate or opponent to, to, to share a pitch with. The main issue was that he hated losing, so much so that Jihad actually started setting up the teams in Maradona's favour just to make sure they, 
that he would win. And Jihad, being a decent footballer himself, or more than decent, being an accomplished footballer, he always tended to be in Maradona's team. He's, he said as well that he would he would make sure as he's playing, he would give the ball directly to Maradona's feet because Maradona couldn't really get about the pitch as he, as he used to. And with all that in mind, this is how five-a-side with Diego Maradona would pan out. I, I got to know him even better on the football pitch. You know, you, you learn about people uh, even more when, when you play football with them, especially him. I, I had never realized that he was really, really a super competitive person. And I realized that when we lost a few games with him and he would start insulting everybody and calling them, uh, well, I can't even say this uh, now, but, you know, he'd call everybody names. He would just get so upset if he lost uh, the most meaningless football match, uh, you know, in his career. And, and I understood that that was his, you know, that was his strength when he was at his peak. Uh, nobody could beat him because not only was he talented, but uh, he was just super competitive. And that's what made him, uh, you know, a real champion. Uh, and then also the other problem that uh, if, if we would uh, book a pitch and, uh, you know, play with Diego, as soon as he showed up, all the other pitches would stop playing and everyone would just try and come in and take pictures and autographs. And, and that was uh, hard because... Uh, then he, uh, in those moments, you feel how he lived his life. He never had any peace. Even the players that played with him wanted to take a picture, wanted to, uh, you know, have his autograph every single time they played against him, you know. So, but sometimes he was patient and sometimes he would, he would lose his patience. So uh, me being one of his closest friends, I would have to always uh, manage that, you know, and try and tell the others, please just, you know, if you're going to come and play, don't exaggerate. Don't take 10 pictures of, you know, because then it, it would become annoying for him to come play with us. Yes, as Jihad says there, you can imagine it would get pretty wearing for Maradona if he's trying to play a game of football, you, you know, something he wants to just have a bit of fun and, and enjoy with his friends and people are coming up and taking pictures with him, lots of them. I can imagine that, you know, understandably that would become a, a little bit annoying. But one thing I think that annoyed him more than anything um, was losing these matches. And um, Jihad recounts a story here when he stormed off from a media match that, um, that he was on the losing end of at the time. One time we, we organized a, a match where we invited, uh, you know, a group of media and Diego was very happy to play. Uh, you know, everything was organized. Uh, it was going to be, you know, covered by a lot of uh, influencers. Uh, let's, let's call them that. And uh, we were losing 4-1. At that point, uh, Diego started insulting uh, the mothers of uh, every player on the pitch. <laughs> and uh, after, the, after the game, we had organized a, uh, a meet and greet uh, for all those influencers that came. And Diego just left. He didn't care who was there or who came. or He just left. He was so angry that uh, he was losing. And he was angry that there were some uh, professional players on the pitch. And... You know, so it was really <laughs> an embarrassing moment. But uh, I think he suffered a lot the fact that he could not move with the ball. He could not do the things that he used to do when he was when he was young and fit. You know, in, in the recent years, Diego had a lot of physical problems. His knees were terrible. He could not bend his knees. So even running, uh, you know, for more than five meters for him was was a problem. So. 
I can imagine his frustration, you know. At one time of his life, he's the, the fastest, strongest, most technical player in the world. No one can even come close to him. And then all of a sudden, he cannot even dribble, you know, the, the most uh, untalented player on the pitch, you know. So I, I, do, I do understand him in a way, but still, <laughs> it was a bit uh, difficult to manage. So despite maybe not being able to dribble around the, the least talented player on the pitch, Jihad was telling us that Maradona still had it in flashes. He told us of one instance that he was he was laughing as, as he was recounting the story, where he said there was a really, really high ball and everyone's looking to, to Maradona. How's he going to control this? And Maradona is glancing around. The ball's taking an age to come, come out of the air. And Jihad said he was smiling almost. And then as soon as the ball came down, stops dead, right right on top of his foot. And Jihad said that it took everybody aback and they were like, ah, this man's Maradona. I remember him, yeah. <laughs> and I remember another incident, actually, on a, in a similar vein to that. Obviously, Maradona, well known for his amazing free kicks during his career. Uh, was it for Jira pre-season training somewhere in Europe? Because I remember, I remember vividly your tweet getting very lively on social media <laughs> about it. Yeah, so that was during a pre-season training camp with what Wiley was Fujera manager who he went on to manage after Al Wassel. They were in the Netherlands and the training had just finished and the conditions looked horrendous, still pouring with rain and they'd set up, uh, the team had, had been practicing free kicks and they'd set up, you know, the mannequins or whatever. And Maradona's obviously there thinking, I'll, I'll have a pop myself with his, with his wand of a left foot and curls the ball. So this is maybe 25 yards out curls the ball into the top corner off the crossbar which is obviously the greatest <laughs> feeling and the greatest look and sign we'd, yeah as a couple of amateurs we'd have been wheeling away in celebration just the, the greatest moment of the week that would have been for us and it turns out in actual fact it was for him too the joy that he felt in that it was absolutely fantastic so as you said he runs away and, and you hear the screams from the his coaching staff or whatever and then he does a, a superman dive across across the grass the skids across the grass and then everyone's on top of him they're, they're sharing hugs etc but it just shows you that we still had it. It was a lovely little moment that was captured by someone at Fijera. Yeah, that, that really was a lovely, vivid moment. And it seemed like from talking and listening to Jihad that he shared a lot of, lot of lovely moments like that himself with Maradona. Yeah, not necessarily on the five-a-side pitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, he did say that some of the best times he had with Maradona was whenever he would travel with him. He said they'd go to Spain to watch matches. I, I take it it would have been La Liga. And he said that Maradona just held everybody in his thrall on the plane reminiscing about his playing career obviously he'd have stories for days he said he was so entertaining so funny with it and that he would always make people laugh he loved having people around him especially when he was in a good mood Jihad said maybe maybe he'd won the night before at the, the fives and Jihad said that they were some of the best memories he had with Maradona because that's when he would really share some of those wonderful life experiences that he had for example he, he told me about the, the, the incident of the hand of God the, the, the famous uh, goal against England and uh, one thing he told me he said after the ball entered the, the goal obviously uh, his his main concern was why aren't my teammates coming to celebrate so that the, the referee gets distracted you know so he was he was telling me I was telling everybody come come celebrate don't <laughs> pretend it's a goal don't don't show that there's something wrong you know and the way the way he he, he tells the story is, it's really funny you know, to hear to hear these things. He loved the fact he got away with that goal. 
The hand of God, goal. He definitely wouldn't have got away with that in this day and age, would he? Certainly not with the technology you have today. And almost his era to today's era feels like an absolute world away. And and one of the interesting things of, of speaking to Giad and, and listening to him retell the tales from Maradona was the difference between Maradona and the top stars of today. For a start, the kind of ill treatment that he got bordering on assault in a lot of places. You know, he had his ankle broken pretty badly, obviously, and famously for while he was playing for Barcelona. And the fact that he wasn't exactly your model professional. So all of this made Maradona what he was, what he is to millions of fans around the world, really. It made him Diego Maradona. One incident I always, I, I remember, which, which really made me appreciate his, um, his character and his, uh, uh, from a football uh, perspective, was that we were watching a game. Uh, it was Barcelona, uh, Bayern Munich uh, in Champions League or Bayern Munich, Barcelona, one of, one of these matches. And I remember that uh, Messi was uh, on the bench because he was uh, injured. So he wasn't sure if he could play or not. So, you know, he was on the bench. And so Diego looks at me and he says, Gijo, you know, you know the difference between me and Messi? I said, no, what is it? He said, that game, I would play it with one leg, you know. Uh, it's like meaning, it means, uh, you know, I, I, would, I would play no matter what, you know. And, and that showed me his, his real passion uh, and his, his will to, to win. And, um, and I think that's, what, that's why he won the World Cup with Argentina and he won the, he won the Italian League with Naples. You know, he would win with any team. Didn't matter how weak they were, or you know, he, he would really win alone, and no other player ever did that after him. You know, that's exactly what uh, what people forget is that okay, we see Messi uh, scoring uh, I don't know forty goals a season. He's been doing it for the past uh, I don't know ten, twelve years, um, beating every record possible. Uh, but but we forget that you know. Football's changed. These these players are protected. Uh, Diego always said, you know, when I used to play, I used to get elbowed in the teeth. I used to get uh, kicked uh, from the beginning of the match till the end. Uh, so what Diego actually did was already unbelievable. Uh, and I doubt any of the players uh, that are playing today could could do the same during his period of time. The, the, the thing is that Diego you no, never trained. This is the, the main problem. <laughs> he told me, he told me I, he would sleep three hours a, a night and then go to training and travel, then maybe come to the game the day before. I mean, crazy things that today you never hear about, but he, he actually did them. You know, he would party, he would, uh, he would never train. And if he did, he would just come to training, kick a ball around and Few, few free kicks. So actually, what he did uh, was already a miracle. <laughs> okay, so that wraps up episode three. Next time, we'll be looking at what it was like to play for Maradona, the manager. So please look out for episode four next week and make sure to subscribe to Recorded by The National on your favorite podcasting app. 